some weeks now. My heart's full and excited about some of the things we're going to get into this evening together and just believe with me that the Holy Spirit's going to lead us and show us exactly what He wants to show us and help us see exactly what He wants us to see. Amen. So Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, it says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him, and Him being God, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And we've said previously to not ignore the use of strong words, impossible and must. These words are absolutes, which means there's no way around them. But we said last week, it's one thing for a man to use impossible and must, but consider what it means for God to use these words, because this is God's word to you and me. So if God says it is impossible, and if God says it is a must, then you can rest assured that it's impossible to please Him without faith, and he that comes to God must come believing that God is and that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. I'm going to try to do just a quick review, some things that I feel compelled by the Holy Spirit to keep reminding us of. And First of all, we've said that faith in God pleases God, and if you do not have faith in Him, nothing else you do will please Him. We've also taken that word faith in God and just broken it down to trusting God because the word in the original language could have been translated either way. The, the Greek word pistis, uh, speaking of faith or, or being fully persuaded or having trust in God. So trusting God pleases God. And if you do not trust Him, nothing else you do, no matter how good or noble, um, will please Him. That's what it means apart from faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Then... As we continue to break this verse down, that we find the phrase, he who comes to God. And what we see from this verse, but also throughout other um, people's experiences in the Word of God, that there is a right way to come to God and there's a wrong way to come to God. And of course, you know, to put it simply, you come to God humbly. You come to God, um, you know, pride will cause God to resist you. Uh, but humility, amen, will enable the grace of God to flow into your life or the help that God desires to give every person uh, will flow into your life. We've looked specifically at a group of people in John chapter 6 who came to Jesus to learn from Jesus in order to go back home without Jesus and do what Jesus did. And it doesn't work that way. And I'm not going to read all those verses again to you tonight, but I do feel compelled to spend a minute more on something that we introduced last week, and that's the self-help mindset of the world that has crept into the church and needs to be rooted out. The world that, that we live in has an increasing mindset that is, you know, what's called self-help. It's become an industry. Uh, and there are a lot of people who come to God, like those in John 6, they come to God for advice on what they can do 
Now, I'm not saying that there's not things that me and you need to do, but they're wanting to know what they can do apart from God, apart from faith in God, apart from fellowship with God, to improve or to make um, their lives better. And we identified or defined self-help a few different ways. Let's go back through those real quick. Self-help is the use of one's own efforts and resources to achieve things without relying on others. Self-help is the action or process of bettering oneself or overcoming one's problems without the aid of others. Self-help resources provide ways to help you solve problems, end a habit, learn a skill, or become a better person by yourself. Self-help is the act of providing for or helping oneself without, the, without assistance from others. Now, th- this one right here. As I was going back through some of this in preparation for this evening, self-help is self-guided efforts towards self-improvement. Somebody say Adam and Eve. It's exactly what they did, wasn't it? It was a self-guided effort towards self-improvement. That's, that's, that's the trap that Adam and Eve fell for. Satan told them that if they ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that it would make their life better, that it, it would make them like God. It would open their eyes to things that, that, that they are blinded to, and, and you know, it would, they would become more enlightened, and that they would become better people, and they would become more productive and more effective and all these other things. And so notice when it says was a self-guided effort, they, self-guided, not god guided not spirit-led life is choice driven therefore it must be spirit-led so they decided to strike out on their own it was a self-guided effort towards self-improvement a self-guided effort towards self-improvement man so we said last week we must not mistake jesus for a self-help coach or the bible for a self-help book or christianity for a self-help program or pastors as peddlers of self-help advice or the church as a support group for those seeking self-improvement or the worship of God for something we do to feel better about ourselves. Jesus does not do self-help. We've got to get this straight now because I think, you know, you look at the Galatians, God came and did this great work among them, but then they basically said, okay, we can take it from here, God. They kind of look at, Salvation is God giving them a boost and, and kind of getting them over the hump. And then we'll just kind of, you know, self-guided improvement, self-improvement from here. And it's a, it's a huge mistake. We were singing a moment ago about how much we need God, that, that without Him we're lost, that we're, we're desperate for Him. And you realize that that's not just true about you and me. That was true of Jesus when he was on this earth as a man. He was not being falsely humble and certainly was not being misleading when he said without his father he could do nothing. He understood and expressed his complete and utter dependence upon his heavenly father. And in the same way Jesus could not do anything apart from his father, you and I cannot do anything apart from Jesus. Jesus is to be to you and me 
what the Father was to Jesus when He was on this earth as a man. Amen. So the world and religion says God helps those who help themselves, but that's not a Bible verse. God says, no, I help those who are willing to humble themselves and come to me to learn of me and believe on me. Now, we also spent a a good bit of time last week talking about these two phrases in the King James Version of the Bible. We see in John 6 where Jesus said to those who wanted self-help advice from him, he said, your work is to believe on him whom God has sent. Now, some translations have believe in, but believing in and believing on are not the same thing. I was um, telling someone about our dear brother Rick Hosmer this week, um, what a genius that man is. And um, in one of the church's warehouses, he built an airplane. And as I was telling that story, Mark, this is, this is how I said it. I said, you know, I believe in that airplane, but I haven't believed on it yet. <laughs> Meaning what? Meaning I haven't gotten in it. And, and have you? Have you went flying in it yet? No? Okay. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. Amen. So I believe in Rick Hosmer. I believe in his airplane, but I have not believed on it yet. So he has. Oh, yeah. He flies a thing everywhere. Amen. And very skilled at it. But do you see the difference there? It's a subtle difference. If you all oh, believe in, believe on, what's the difference? A big difference, right? Matt said skin in the game. You know, it's one thing to believe that rocket can go to the moon and back. It's another thing to climb, on, climb in it and go. And I think a lot of times we substitute believing in Jesus for believing on him where we literally put um, our lives and our future and our eternities uh, in his hand, where we trust. I don't mean to use a, a gambling reference, but that's what people, when they bet, they bet on something. You, you see what I'm saying? They don't say, you know, I'm, I'm betting in a particular horse. They say, I'm betting on it because they've, they've put money down. It's one thing to say, well, I think that horse is going to win. I believe that horse is going to win. You can believe in a horse to win without ever, and I'm not by any means, are you hearing me? Praise God. But I'm just, again, I'm trying to help you see that believing on is a next step in the same way learning of is a deeper thing than learning about or even learning from. We can learn about Jesus like a historical figure. We can learn from the things that he taught. And all that's good and important. I'm certainly not making light of it. But that's not the same thing as learning of him. And when you learn of someone, you, you learn about their person. You learn about their nature. You learn uh, of their, I'm, I'm using the word about, but you understand, it's, you experience life together with them. I don't just know about Pamela Wilson Winslet. It's my wife, those of you who don't know. Amen. I just know I know a lot about her. Amen. And I've learned a lot from her. I tell her when God was handing out mothering, he gave her a double dose, man. She is she's got the mothering thing. I mean, praise God. I'm so thankful for it. My children and my grandchildren are better off because of it. So I've learned a lot from her. 
Um, but, I was, but I've also learned of her because I've spent the last 36 plus years with her. You understand? I've done life together with her. And, um, and I would dare say that I know of her better than any other person, you know, on planet Earth. Because of the things that we've experienced together, because of the things that we've, let's just be honest about it, things that we've been through together. Um, wonderful, joyous occasions and, and other challenges, you know, when her dad had a stroke and some of those things, you know. And, and, um, and some of you have been through similar things with your spouse and family members and that sort of, that sort of thing. And so when we talk about learning of Jesus, we're not just talking about learning about him or learning from him. We're talking about something more personal than that. And that's reflected in Hebrews eleven six when he says, He who comes must believe that he is, and must believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so I want to try to zero in on that a little bit tonight because ultimately our faith in God must be and must rest upon his person. And I know that almost sounds like, you know, tell me something I don't know, Pastor Mark, but, but it, it can be a little different in, 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 in a lot of people's minds. And I know this, again, may be obvious, but he did not say, did not say, he who comes to God must believe that God can. Now, is it important that we believe God is able, that God can do? Yes, we need to believe that. That's important. But he did not say he that comes to God must believe that God will. Now, let me try to give you three words here. And I've got them. I was looking for them in my notes. Okay, here we go. Three words, I mean, you know, it's kind of like of and from versus... Uh, on and in. But now we've got these three words. Can, will, is. Can, talking about the ability of God. Will, talking about the willingness of God. But he didn't say he that comes to God must believe that God can or that, or that God will. The willingness of God, the ability of God. The willingness of God and the ability of God is extremely important. But we will never be fully persuaded of God's ability and willingness until we know Him. And that's what's reflected in this simple two-letter word, is. Must believe that God is. I think a lot of people are trying to get traction for their faith by resting it upon the ability of God and the willingness of God, but never resting it upon the person of God. So rather than having faith in God's person, they try to have faith in God's ability. They try to have faith in God's uh, willingness. And listen, I've preached on those subjects many times over uh, you know, the last 30, however many odd years I've been preaching. And like we see in the scriptures where you know, the gentleman asks, if you're willing, the leper says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I am willing and you be clean, right? And then the ability of, of God. We see what He's able to do and what He has done in the lives of people, not just on the pages of Scripture, but what He is able to do and what He has done in the lives of people in this room tonight. I mean, we, we could start talking about it and be here past midnight. What, what God not just is able to do, but what He has done. 
And so it's important. I'm not, if you, if you think I'm saying these things aren't important as it relates to our faith, you're not hearing what I'm saying. They are important. But if we're going to have the kind of confidence and persuasion that we need to have in God's willingness and ability, it's got to be traced all the way back to his person. Amen. Now, if, if this is a little confusing to you, just stay with me here for a minute. We're going we're gonna to deal with this for a few more minutes. Amen? You good? So, again, it doesn't say believe that God did, can, or will. It says believe that He is. So, He's saying that our faith is based upon is, but many have tried to stop short of the person of God and simply try to believe that God will do for them and can do for them what they need Him to do for them based upon what they have seen His uh, willingness and ability in other people. When here, Maybe this statement will, will help you, okay? When you know that He is, you will never have trouble believing He can or He will. That, thank you, Holy Spirit. That, that's, when you know that he is remember what god told abraham when he i'm sorry moses when he asked him he said who do i who do i tell him uh, sent me in exodus chapter 3 and verse 14 and god said unto moses i am that i am and he said thus shalt thou say unto the children of israel i am hath sent me unto you i am okay not I can sent you know I can that I can sent me to you. I will that I will sent no. Can he? Yes. Will he? He's he's rolling up his sleeves right now as we speak. But he understood, God understood that the faith of the people ultimately needed to be in him as a person before it could ever be extended to his ability and his Willingness. Remember the whole lesson that God was trying to teach them, the journey from Egypt to the promised land, was for them to learn how to trust Him. The, the manna on the ground, it was enough for that day until um, Friday, and then on Friday they got, or you know, whatever our day of the week is, the, the, the sixth day they were together enough for two days because God didn't want them working on the Sabbath. And man, they, they were getting wheelbarrow loads of that stuff. And it bred worms and stank. Because what is he trying to teach them? He's trying to teach them to trust him. Trust in him, his nature, his character, his ability, who he is. So I believe a lot of the doubt that we deal with in our hearts comes from questioning God's ability and his will. Let me, let me say this, I think for a lot of people, it's not a question of whether or not God can. He's God, he can do anything, right? But they're not sure if he will. And what does the Bible say? The Bible says, if you know that he's heard you and you know that it's his will, <laughs> right? You, you ask according to his will, know that he's heard you, you got whatever you ask. So where's the confusion coming? We don't know if it's, will or, if it's, if it's his will or not. So... How, how, do you, how do you know if it's somebody's will or not? Let me, let me just tell you straight up, okay? 
and I go back to I have learned of Pam for all these years. I can just about tell you what her will is in any situation, right? Because I know her. I've learned of her. Are you, you, you see this? It's not a question. I wonder if Pam would be willing to do a baby shower for somebody. Yes. Yes, she would be willing to do it because she loves to do it and she's gifted at doing it and she's got uh, all kinds of stuff staged in tubs to do it and she's done it hundreds of times and she does it as good as anybody I've ever seen. You see what I'm saying? I, I have learned of her. See, but notice, it's not just I know that she can, know that she will, because I know her, I know that she can and I know that she will. So, I'm concerned we're more focused on what we believe than in whom we believe. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says, I am persuaded. For this reason I also suffer these things, nevertheless I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. So, notice that because he knew whom he believed in, he was persuaded that God was able. Do you, you see the order of these things? It was his confidence in the person of God that convinced him in the ability, made him fully persuaded in the ability of God to keep what he had committed to God. Believing in God's ability and willingness are key factors for faith in God. Genuine faith is always based upon something. God's willingness and ability are based upon who He is. You will never be fully persuaded in His willingness and ability without knowing Him, Himself, His person. You cannot be fully persuaded in the ability and willingness of someone you do not know. Faith in the promise will never be greater than your faith in the one who promised. Now, we see a very similar must here. There's two must. Must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. A rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There are lots of words to consider in this passage, but none more important than the word him. Him is obviously a pronoun referring to the person of God. Him is autos in the Greek and refers to the self of God, or we could say it God himself. If we're going to break this down even further, we're talking about a person's self is a person's essential being, that which distinguishes them from others, a person's particular nature or personality, the qualities and interests that make a person individual or unique. So if we take this autos, this self, the self of God, a a rewarder of those who seek Him, He's literally saying that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek His essential being and diligently seek that which distinguishes Him from all others. His particular nature and personality, the qualities and interests that make Him individual and unique. 
must believe that He is and must believe that He's a rewarder of anybody who's interested in seeking and discovering these things about God. And here's the beautiful thing about it is, God is extremely interested in revealing His essential being to you. He wants you to know Him. There, there was a doctrine that, that, that swept through the body of Christ you know, several years ago. It was kind of driven by a, a book, and I'm not here to throw rocks at anybody. You know, stuff. But it's this whole idea that we've got to chase God down. That somehow He's playing hard to get. And, 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 and that somehow, you know, if, 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 if we don't just, you know, really, 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 listen, just get somewhere and start singing to him from a pure heart and he will find you. He inhabits the praises of his people. He is not playing hide and seek with you. He is not playing hard to get with you. When Jesus told those people in John the 6th chapter, your work is to believe on Him whom God has sent. He wasn't being stubborn. He wasn't played by my rules and don't play at all. He knew that if they were not interested in Him, nothing that He could tell them would work in their lives. Because the ways of God, the truth of God, the principles of God, none of those things work without God. It's not self-help. It's not here, go do this for a few weeks and come back and tell me how it worked out. That, that is not the way that, that things work. And it's very sad. I'm going to say it again. A self-help mindset has crept into the church. It's come from the world. It's crept into the church. And, and it's, it's really like, it's, it's leaven, it, as Jesus used that expression. And, and without even really understanding it, we tend to listen to every sermon as if it's a self-help talk. You know, Pastor Mark's a gray-headed self-help guru. No, I'm not. No, I am not. It's not, it's not what this is about. It's about Him. And so Jesus isn't like, oh, you're going to roll across here and see if I can get you to tell, me my, you, know, tell you my tricks? I ain't telling you my tricks. Who do you think you are? No, it's none of that. As I pointed out to you once before, what must we do to work the works of God? John 14, Jesus says, the works that I do, you'll do also. God's desire is for His children to do His works in the earth. But this particular group of people, they wanted Jesus to tell them what they could do and then go do themselves without Him. The ways of God don't work that way. That's self-help. God's not interested in self-help. He's interested in fellowship. I'm going to say something's going to make a lot of folks, probably not a lot, but some folks irritated. God's more interested in fellowship than you going and doing something and making your life better without Him. You do realize the most moral human being that's ever lived still needs Jesus just as much as the most immoral human being that's ever lived. So we think somebody's got it all together, you know, and kind of keeping things in the road and, you know, blah, 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 staying out of the ditches and staying out of trouble, keeping their nose clean, all this other stuff. You know, we, well, you know, look at them, man. You know, it gives God more time to spend with those of us that really need Him. No, it's not how this works. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. We think if it's just obedience. See, a self-help mindset says obedience. Just do whatever got to be done. Do it as fast as you can do it and then get on with something else and God will be pleased with you. No, if you're willing and obedient, why, why willing? Willing means your heart's in it, you, that God has your heart. There are a lot of people who try to obey God but are unwilling in their attitude towards Him. 
God would rather you be willing and disobedient than unwilling and obedient. Why is You say, Pastor Mark, that sounds like blasphemy. No, because God knows if He can just get you willing, He can fix anything in your life that's broken. There's nothing He can't get you past. There's nothing He can't help you overcome. There's nothing He can't fix that's broken. There's nothing He can't prosper that's been cursed if He can just get you to desire Him and look to Him and fellowship with Him. And we think, oh, you know, just all trying to become better people. God's not interested in people becoming better people without Him. We've missed the point. Life is not about how good of a person you can be before you die. Life is about knowing your Creator and understanding Him and following His plan for your life and glorifying Him with the fruit that you bear from that. Do you, do you see? There's a, there's a, we're cutting now. You were taking that. We're, those of you who are new to that, we, the Lord showed us it's like, you know, we roll and roll and roll with a paint roller painting a room, and then we just want to go to another room and never take the time to cut in against the ceiling and the, and the baseboards. And we just leaving everything kind of hanging. Well, but it takes some precision to cut it in. And so we're, we're dialing this in tonight. Amen. So when he's talking about reward, that word reward. It means compensate, but the, what he's basically saying here is any time you spend seeking to discover his essential being will be worth your effort. You will, you will never waste time diligently seeking the person of God. You, you will never regret, you know. Do you, you follow what I mean by that? Sometimes when I go to the gym, I'm like, man, I don't want to go to the gym. But I have never went to the gym and worked out and left going, man, I wish I hadn't went and worked out today. I'm always glad that I did, even if I wasn't real fired up about it going. So diligently seek comes from the Greek compound words out and see. So he's literally saying to seek out, to see or know for oneself. Now, if we go all the way back to the beginning of this verse where he says, without faith it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe. I know this may be obvious, but let me point it out nonetheless. When he's saying he that comes to God must believe, he's saying that it's something you have to do for yourself. I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. We can encourage one another in it. We can share with one another what we're discovering, what we're learning about him, what he's teaching us, and all of that, iron sharpening iron, all that's important. But it really boils down to when it comes to you knowing God, it's something that you have to do are you following what I'm saying here? Your mama can't do it for you. So to seek out or to see or know for oneself. Man, do you realize how many people in the Bible were satisfied with somebody else knowing for them? I mean, the, the entire nation of Israel, they're fresh out of, you know, slavery in Egypt. They've just come through the Red Sea. God comes down. He's so excited to spend a little time with them. And they, they were scared to death. And they told Moses, hey, look, Moses, just tell him don't talk to us no more. If he's got something to tell us, let him tell you, and then you tell us whatever you think we need to know. But I, that, that's just too much. And I know that sounds like, who in the world would think like that? <laughs> A lot of people. A lot of people. Am I right about it? Not really. Thank you, Jesus. 
It's that whole group of people that my brother said he'd give them a hot dog on Sunday if they'd come to church. It's not about a hot dog. Right? Amen. Let's, um, man, where's the time go? It gets biased, doesn't it? Um, This is what I'm, there's a whole other section, but it would take me a long time to get to this. So I'm just going to mention a few more things and we'll pray. You got just a couple more minutes? Can you stay anywhere? So, one of the ways that we've communicated this over the last few weeks, but it's something I've done for years and years, um, is the idea of God's hand versus God's face. With His hand representing His provision, but His face representing His person. And there are a lot of people who seek the hand of God, but not the face of God. That's what these folks were doing in John the 6th chapter. They wanted to know what they could do to have God's provision in their lives, but they weren't interested in having God in their lives. And it's very easy to criticize these folks or to think less of them because of that, but yet how how many folks have a quote-unquote personal relationship with Jesus only because they're hoping He can do something to make their life a little more convenient, a little more enjoyable, um, a, a little more meaningful, a little more fulfilling, but aren't really interested in, you know, maybe He can help us with our marriage, tell us a few pointers, you know. Uh, you know, I mean, I, some of that child-raising stuff seems outdated to me, but, I mean, you know, we'll listen to it and consider it, you know, so... And they just hope, again, it's all self-help, right? It's all self-help. Let me tell you how to be a successful parent, okay? Parent with Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit guide you in your parenting. Let the Holy Spirit guide you in your marriage. Don't just, do do you see the difference between, well, I wonder if there's something in the Bible to help me be a better husband. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there that'll help you be a better husband, but you will never see it until you look for the bride and the groom, Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? When even some of the most beautiful things he tells us about marriage, he reveals to us that this isn't just about a man and a woman. This is about Jesus and the church. He's saying that, that you know, it's not that Jesus and the church are like marriage. He says marriage is like Jesus and the church. So we look for Him. Remember, if you just look for, for His help and never look for Him, you won't see Him or the help. But if you look for Him instead of the help, you seek the face instead of the hand, you'll get the face and the hand. If you just seek the hand of God, maybe He can tell me something I can go do that will help me change some of these bad habits. See, again, that's, that's whether we ever called it that or not. I know I never have. I've, I've been preaching for a long time. This is the first time I've ever really used the terminology self-help. But that's, that's what a lot of folks are after. Just some, you know, tell me something I can go do that'll make my life better, help me raise my children, help me this, help me that. And we don't understand that without Jesus, <laughs> He's the one. He's the one. He can do in a minute what you agonizing for years and years and years can never produce in any area 
of your life. And so what I, what I want to encourage you is as you fellowship with the Lord, as you talk to Him, as, as you read and study His Word, I want you to start paying attention to how many times He's referencing Himself. And, I, and I'll use, this is one of the ways that the Lord is, is showing this to me. And here's one example, like two examples. One example is taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that He is good. He's wanting you to experience Him him, his person. You know, we, we, we tend to think of taste and see what the Lord can do for me, and it's good. But no, we're talking about his person, who he is as a, as a person. So that's what I mean when, you, when the Lord begins to open your eyes to it. And so those of you who've been around Heritage for half a minute, you, you've heard me say from Matthew 11, and I'm not saying this is wrong, but just I want to illustrate it, all right? In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, come and I will give. Right, and then he says, "Learn, and you'll find." And so the principle is, when we come to God, He gives us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Right? He doesn't withhold any good thing from us. By His stripes you were healed. He gives, but we are made righteous. But then we have to learn from Him, and of Him, how to experience in our life reality what He has given us. And so we illustrate that point. And how many times have you heard me say it? Come and I'll give, learn and you'll find. Come and I'll give, learn and you'll find. Okay? But notice what I'm leaving out when I do that. Come unto me. Learn of me. Now you say, well, Pastor Mark, it's implied. Well, maybe for you it is, but maybe for other people it's not. So it's very easy to focus on the principle. And the principle's accurate. I'm not saying the principle's wrong. Come and he'll give. Learn and you'll find, but the whole verse is, come unto me. Coming to him is different than coming to his help. Coming to his, uh, you know, instructions. Coming to, remember he said, you search the scriptures because you think, I'm in, you, you think in there you have eternal life, but you, you won't come to me so that I can give you eternal life. Is eternal life in the Bible? Yes. <laughs> but you'll never find it, you'll never see it, you'll never have it unless you go to Jesus for it. Is this making sense to you? Okay. All right, stand with me tonight. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. So the, the question then is, how do we diligently seek His essential being? How, how do we do that? What does that look like? Hopefully you're interested in it, and that's where we're going to be next week. But the, the, the simple answer is, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. He has, he has chosen to reveal His essential being to us, in the person of his son. Now, that has made it a whole lot easier, right? It's taken a. It's, Brother Donald said something one time years ago. He said, "He says if um if if it's been revealed, is it still a mystery, right? If the mystery's been revealed, then quit talking about it like it's a mystery. It's not a mystery anymore." Do you realize that because Jesus came to this earth and lived on this earth and we have his life and teaching and, and actions recorded that there's no excuse now for not knowing God's essential being because it's revealed to us in Jesus? Amen. But we can't be like those folks in John 6 who only want his hand and could care less about his face, who only want his help but could care less about fellowship with him. 
But that's not us, amen? All right, Father, you're good to us and we love you. Thank you for helping us this evening. Thank you, Father, for loving us. Thank you for being so patient and kind with us, Father. Thank you, Lord, for showing us, Father, um, where a self-help mindset has, has crept into how we relate to you and even why, Lord, we come to church or serve you or have a quote-unquote personal relationship with you, Father. Lord, help us also understand that what you desire, first and foremost, is fellowship with us. You paid such a high price. You paid such a high price for us to be able to fellowship with you. And Father, it's within the context of that fellowship that we learn to believe on you. And it's in the context of fellowship that we learn of you. So Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have. Lord, the doors that are open, the access that you've made available by the sacrifice of your son. And so, Lord, we, we want to be among those who seek your face instead of only seeking your hand. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, thank you so much for being here this evening. You have a great rest of your week. Um, I'll see you on Sunday, if not before. Praise God. Good things coming.